Hello, and welcome back to Pause, Purpose, Possibility. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, with the Milkweed Group. This week's episode is the first in the series that features a conversation with a special guest, in this case, award-winning author and photographer John Noltner. As you'll hear, John is the founder of A Piece of My Mind, P-E-A-C-E, a multimedia arts project that includes books, exhibits, workshops, on-site studios, and public talks that use portraits and personal stories to bridge divides and encourage dialogue around important issues. A gifted storyteller, John has worked on four continents, gathering stories of human courage, grace, and resilience. His work, including A Piece of My Mind, reflects his conviction that art and storytelling can help individuals, organizations, and communities to articulate their deepest values and encourage action toward building social capital and community connections. Thanks for joining us. John Noltner, my friend, uh, artist, author, uh, photographer, social change agent, deep thinker, conversation partner, world traveler. There are so many things I could say about you, but instead I'm going to get myself out of the way and invite you to tell me and whoever might be gifted enough to listen in on this today uh, about who you are. Who do you know yourself to be? Yeah, thanks, Chris. It's, uh, it's great to be with you, as always. And um really honored to be um, the first guest on your podcast. So thanks for thanks for that opportunity. Thank you, John. Um, I used to call myself a photographer. Um, I am still a photographer. Um, I'm also a father and uh, a spouse and a, weirdly enough, a Christmas tree farmer. <laughs> but um, in my professional world, I've come to call myself a storyteller. And sometimes those stories happen with words, and sometimes those stories happen with images. But I've had the good fortune to be able to travel across the country and around the world, encountering really uh, beautiful humans who are doing amazing work. And um, I've come to call myself a curator of sorts of these stories that encourage us in a divided world to remember what connects us. How did you come to be doing that with your life or how did your life come to be doing that with you? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a windy path. My, my training, well, I'll back up further than that. My father was a social worker and my mother was an educator and although they were germanic in their heritage so we didn't say these things out loud very much um i think their their hearts and souls were centered in the common good in creating a world that worked well for everybody um and uh so my training was in journalism Uh, in writing, actually, but I made my career as a photographer shooting for national magazines and Fortune 500 companies. And um, about 15 years ago, two things happened. And the first is um, the recession of 2008 and 2009. Mm -hmm. I like to say the economy handed me some free time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, 
we uh, my workload dropped quickly and dramatically. And at the same time, I was increasingly frustrated with the quality of our national dialogue. I was concerned about all the things that asked us to look at what can separate us. And I wondered if there was something I could do with my skill set uh, to remember what connects us. There was there was a moment um, when I was working on a story for the New York Daily News. It was a travel piece on Sedona, Arizona. And the piece was called Earth, Wind, and Fire. And so Earth was about hiking through the landscape. Wind was about riding on a hot air balloon over the desert. And fire was about a spiritual journey. And this man uh, and healer named Rahelio led my wife on a dream journey, and I photographed it. And he said a thing during that session that really resonated. And he said, don't work against the things that you hate, but work for the things that you love. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you back in 2008 and 2009, I was spending a lot of energy being frustrated with our political rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And it was chewing me up a little bit. And I didn't want to yell back at the angry voices, but what I wanted to do was create an alternative, a place where we could hear each other's hearts, where we could listen deeply and learn a new understanding of the world. Uh, And that's what eventually became a piece of my mind, P-E-A-C-E, that kind of piece. Yes. Uh, I forget the year exactly, but it was sometime around then that you and I first met as well. Uh, You were on campus at the college where I was working at the time, Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Peter, Minnesota. Uh, And you filmed here and there throughout the month of January uh, snippets of the course I was teaching that month called Changing the World, Justice, Action, and the Meaning of Life. I remembered that I wished that I could have been an enrolled student in that <laughs> class, but I wound up uh, soaking in um, good chunks of wisdom as I was mm. filming that piece. And we learned from you as well, uh, among many other things, the power, as you've already said, the power of story, mm. uh, of presence, of deep listening, big questions, all of which uh, come to mind when I think of you and your work in the world. So thanks for all the ways that I've been able to learn from and uh, and be inspired by you over the years since then. Yeah, and what a treat to still be connected after all those years. Absolutely. So you've you've given us the name of the project now, a piece, P-E-A-C-E, of my mind. Uh, can you drill a little more deeply into that? How What are the shapes that that takes? How has it fed you? What has it taught you over the years and the miles? Yeah. Have gone so- into it? So it it started as a small personal project and the the structure was quite simple. I would sit down with a person um, and we would record a conversation. And at the end of it, I would do a portrait because I'm a photographer. And uh, so we slowly started sharing those stories as podcasts and on our website. Um, we eventually uh, turned those stories into a traveling exhibit. We eventually turned that traveling exhibit into a book. Um, and and now we've got five traveling exhibits and we've got um, our fourth book coming out in December of 2023. And 
we bring these stories around to colleges and community centers and faith communities and conferences. And we use the stories to talk about conflict resolution and civic responsibility and social change. It's um, sort of the the core question of these interviews is built around uh, the question, what does peace mean to you? But that really has just become our gateway question. Mm -hmm. That's just our opportunity to talk about mission, vision, and values in the world, for people to talk about race and gender and class and politics and faith and all of these things that make us who we are, and to do it in the spirit of listening and to do it in the spirit of understanding and to to try to bridge divides and build community in the process. So um, most recently, uh, the... <laughs> The, the the project has taken the shape of um, during the pandemic, my wife, Karen, and I selling our house in Minnesota and buying an RV and hitting the road full time. So over uh, the last two and a half years during the pandemic, we drove 93,000 miles across the country. Wow. Uh, probably more now, but I'm not great at math, but uh, <laughs> but a lot of miles. Um Visiting all of the pain points of our country and mm. going down to the border to talk about immigration and going to Mississippi to talk about moving Confederate monuments and going to Skid Row to talk about housing security, always in an effort to be in close proximity to the people who are impacted by these issues and to meet and talk and learn uh, with them and also uh to encounter people who are finding creative solutions to some of these really challenging issues in the hopes of amplifying those and in this really polarized and contentious season to believe that something better is possible. What do you ground that belief for yourself that something better is possible, given that it, just painting in broad brushstrokes, you mentioned that the project began in 2008-ish when you said you were really getting ground down by the polarized, divisive nature of our national discourse and so on. And I'll just go out on a limb to say things have only gotten worse, John. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, well, so how Chris, do you, it yeah. sounds like it sounds like you're pointing out the fact that I'm not doing my job. Oh, cut well. it out! <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I haven't yet fixed the world, but. Oh. But it is, um, it is, I, I suppose, grounded in my faith. Uh -huh. uh, I'm, I'm uh, Lutheran tradition. I am uh, rooted in God's call to love one another, uh, whatever that looks like in the world today. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not really a theologian, but I don't think that it says to love the ones that look like you. Mm. It doesn't say love the ones that live like you. It doesn't even say, I've looked for it. I don't find the words that say love the ones who voted like you in the mm -hmm. last election cycle. Mm -hmm. It says love one another, period. Um, and that's kind of where I start. It's kind of where I end. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what guides things. And, um, and that's hard, I think, especially in today's world. We have a lot of messages that tell us that 
these people are trying to ruin the world. These people hate you. Those people are ruining everything. Um, I don't buy it. Mm. I think that there are bad people in the world. You'd have to be naive to believe that there aren't. Um, but I'm convinced that there are more good people in the world. And I think it's important that we change our narrative. I think it's important that we shift our mindset to from, oh my God, everything is so bad, uh, to um, seeing the beauty and wisdom that's all around us. Uh, I think that for me is every bit as infectious as the corrosive rhetoric that we hear in the world today. I believe it's every bit as true, mm -hmm. if not more true than the corrosive rhetoric that we hear today. And I don't believe it's naive. I don't think that it's, um, it's uh, Pollyannish. I think that it's crucial to our understanding of the world and how we navigate the wounds and damage that's been done throughout history and find a productive path forward for all of us. Beautiful. Thank you, John. Yeah. So you just mentioned there, you use language of shifting the narrative. And earlier you described yourself as a storyteller. Uh, another piece of our earlier history is that you and I, one weekend many years ago, co-facilitated a retreat with our friend, um, Neil Hagberg. If I remember right, the title of it was The Power of Story and the Courage to Change the World. Yeah. So, so thank you for that, first of all. And I'm hoping that someday the universe conspires to bring the three of us together around that kind of language again, or that, that sort of experience. But now all these years later, and given what you've said already in this conversation, what what does that phrase or those phrases side by side mean to you today? The power of story, the courage to change the world. What is the power of story? Where you does know, the think, courage to change come from? Yeah, I think the power of story is its ability to change hearts, um, uh, the ability to encourage action and build connections. I think, you know, facts and statistics are great. Um, I'm a big fan of them, <laughs> but I think uh, stories really open up our hearts and allow us to hear and understand those facts and statistics in human ways. I think in my journey, as I interview people from all different backgrounds, I mean, people who are Holocaust survivors and people who march with Dr. King and folks who have terminal diagnosis and undocumented immigrants and people who've been through the prison system and wounded veterans, uh, a really a really broad cross-section of who we are as human beings, I find these lovely little threads mm -hmm. of humanity in the stories that they each tell individually. But when you start weaving those little threads together, uh, for me, it turns into this rich tapestry and this rich fabric of, of who we are as a society. And I think you can't you can't remove any one of those threads without losing the whole beauty mm. of that fabric. And that's what I try to um, be aware of and what I try to amplify in my stories. Um, 
when I think about changing the world, um, I think about three different audiences as I'm doing my work, um, mm. very distinct audiences. And the first is myself. I guess mm. it's a little self-serving and greedy this way, but, but when I sit down with someone from a different background, from a different set of experiences, um, I learn so much and, and my eyes are open to new possibilities. And, and so that changes my world. Um, the second audience is the person I'm talking with because I want them at the end of the conversation to feel seen and heard and valued. I think that's something that we all long for in the world. And I think that it's something that doesn't happen all that often. So there's this deep hunger for it. And, and I hope that my process on a really small level is an experience that gives people that sense of feeling seen and heard and valued. Um, and, and thirdly, my, my audience, when I'm thinking of creating change is, is the bigger world, you know, the general population, because we use these stories in such a public way, because we uh, present exhibits in public spaces, because we do lectures and workshops to share the stories, because we have the books, because we project like we're doing this week, these stories and images 20 feet by 30 feet on the exterior of buildings mm -hmm. at dusk. Um, it, it brings these stories to uh, a broad audience. And I hope um, that it invites people to listen deeply and to challenge their own expectations and to uh, stay at the table uh, when things become difficult, because these to me are three of the big elements that we can have control over and employ in order to create change in our world. I'm just going to uh, speculate that I heard a fragment of good old fashioned Lutheran guilt as you began that by saying that your first audience is yourself. And then you called that greedy and selfish. <laughs> so I don't know, there's a narrative I'd invite you to reframe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh -huh. Um, I, I, I will reframe it this way, yeah. uh, Chris. I think that's a fair, fair challenge, and I will reframe it by saying, "This work feeds my soul." Yes, good. Thank you. That it is an opportunity to recognize and, um, and celebrate the light and, uh, one might uh -huh. say, the divinity that's all yeah. around us. Yeah. With that notion of feeding one's soul in mind, what is it about your work, about the maybe the art side of it in particular, whether that's photography or the art of a question and listening and so on, what is it about the art component of your work in the world that does feed your soul? What is it about images, about story? How does that, how does that feed your soul? Yeah, I think um, there's, there's something interesting about photography that I've always loved, which is a, a unique combination of the aesthetic, um, you know, looking at light and composition and, and uh, tones, uh, the combination of that aesthetic with uh, the technical 
that you need to sort of uh, command and control in order to help your vision come to uh, reality through the lens. And so I, for me, if we're talking about my own experience, I, I love that um, combination. I love being able to walk into a space with a challenge of articulating what's going on through my art, you know, to be able to tell that story. I find that really edifying and satisfying, but also I think the, that, that art form has always been my excuse or my ticket to explore the world. You know, as a photographer, if I was interested in uh, learning more about the barges that go down the Mississippi, well, I could, I could, uh, hustle a little bit and get myself an assignment to ride the barges all the way down the Mississippi and learn and understand that. If I was interested in, um, you know, fill in the blank, um, uh, rock climbing, I could get an assignment to photograph rock climbing. And so the, the art of photography for me has turned into uh, my ticket to explore the world. And that. Um, you know, you could talk about that geographically, but you can also talk about it on the the map of our human experience, mm -hmm. you know, through mm -hmm. exploring race or uh, class or environment or whatever. It's been it's been the window through which I can access and learn about the world. In all the travels that you've done and the listening and story gathering that you've done over the years, the decades even. What do you notice about sort of the human need for or capacity for or willingness for people to feed their souls? Are people good at that? Are they afraid of that? What do you notice? My my friend, uh, Joe Davis, maybe you know him. Oh, yeah, here in the it, Twin Cities. Yeah, yeah, spoken word artist. Yes. He often says that we do best what we do most you know which is to say you got to practice mm -hmm. you know and so i think there's a there's a deep hunger uh for these conversations for these connections for this kind of human relationship that unfolds uh with and through storytelling but i also think that our skills for it are not well developed Mm -hmm. And so we might bumble through it. And when we bumble through it, we might be discouraged that we haven't done it well. And because we're humans, we might then be reluctant to try it again the next time, mm -hmm. even though it's something we really want. Um, you know, we're, we're sensitive to the fact that we we did it poorly last time. So maybe I don't want to try again because that's scary and vulnerable. But um, I found for myself uh, and for others that if you can continue to practice that, if you can continue to exercise those muscles, uh, you can get better at it. And I think when I, when I look at the world today and I look at all of the dysfunction and the, 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 um, tension in our civic dialogue, um, that's worrisome and frustrating on some level, but, what's hopeful 
is that I see the birth of this entire movement of organizations who are interested in fostering civil dialogue, in bridging divides, in in pulling people together and looking for that common ground. And that's, you know, that's in organizations like Weave, the Social Fabric Project, mm-hmm. which I think you're familiar with. Uh, mm-hmm. It's part of the Aspen Institute. It's, um, and I'm a part of Weave and... Uh, I should say a piece of my mind is a part of Weave. Uh, it's it's evident in organizations like uh, Listen First Coalition, which is a coalition of more than 400 organizations across the country who do this sort of civil dialogue, civic dialogue work. Um, and it's, to me, evidenced in the work that you do mm-hmm. uh, and the podcast that you're, you're you. doing here. I think there's a deep hunger for these sorts of connections uh, we don't always have the tools and the resources to access those experiences, but there there is a growing uh, wave of organizations and individuals that are um, doing the hard work to make it happen. What you just said there reminded me of, uh, well, you mentioned the Weave project um, that's connected with David Brooks, the writer, who I think... I'm correct in remembering has written about the contrast or the difference between uh, resume stories and eulogy stories that hmm. we craft and share about ourselves. And similarly, um, Parker Palmer, another hero of of ours, uh, writer, educator, author, activist, he writes of the difference between uh, ego stories and soul stories. Similar kind of contrast, I think that both Parker and and David Brooks are making. Uh, now, where was I going with that? Uh, <laughs> One more good, no doubt. <laughs> I, I think just in terms of, well, you you mentioned practice that we are so. Uh, we it seems to me we are so conditioned uh, to live on a level of a certain kind of story about ourselves and each other at the expense of or to the neglect of deeper, richer, more truthful, maybe maybe more cloudy or ambivalent or paradoxical stories, but ultimately more truthful in because of those factors that we we tend to live in a culture that is all about selling ourselves, making the best possible case, putting ourselves in the best possible light. And we, in doing so, we practice uh, missing out on so much of who we are ourselves and who are the people are around us. How does yeah, that those, land with you? The, that that resonates. That makes sense. Those stories of ego, those uh, facade stories, I think are there to protect ourselves and to mm-hmm. bolster our image and to say what we think the world wants us to say. Those those stories are much less interesting to me mm-hmm. than the vulnerable and mm-hmm. true and heartfelt stories that speak to our hearts. And um, I think the the world doesn't often make space for those kinds of stories. I think um, we're accustomed as humans to to putting on this front and this face and maybe putting up a little bit of armor so that our cracks don't show. Right. Uh, but when we build that armor, 
we also insulate ourselves from the very best of what humanity can be. And so my hope and 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 the evidence I see shows that this process of art and storytelling softens that armor and encourages people to let it down and um, and share uh, those really heartfelt, uh, close and human experiences that do help connect us to one another that let us look at another person and say, Oh yeah, I've, uh, that's me. I've seen that too. Right. That's familiar. I understand what that feels like. And that experience cuts across all sorts of barriers around race and gender and class and ethnicity and all of these things. And that's, that's to me where the magic happens. You mentioned earlier that so much of what you see in your work and across the miles that you've traveled is uh, the power of what it is to be seen and to be heard. Uh, Parker and others have spoken about the, the the power that comes when you know you are being listened into existence, mm. being listened into speech. Can you tell us a story, John, about someone in your own life or experience who has seen you, who has really heard you as the the true person that you are and can become? Who has seen and heard you in your own life and experience? And what has been the effect of that in who you've become? Hmm. That's not where I was expecting the question to go. <laughs> now I have to retool my response. I, um, you know, maybe, maybe I can tell you the story of when I was in my 20s. Uh, and I... I was newly in the ELCA uh, version of the Lutheran church and um, new father. I had just come back from central America, um, uh, a mission trip to Honduras uh, for an assignment and was, was um, sort of in love with the people in the place and, and moved by that. And, and then hurricane Mitch yeah. sort of devastated Honduras about a year later. Mm -hmm. And I went to this pastor of this new church uh, that we were attending. And I explained to him that I had always wanted to be a part of a church that had a global view that I didn't care what the work was, if it was women's health, or if it was microfinance, or if it was education of young people, whatever, I wanted to be a part of a community that um that saw beyond its own walls. And he listened patiently. And then he said, you know what, John, I think that's a great idea. And I thought that he was going to do that. Um, <laughs> and then he said, uh, I think that's a great idea. Why don't you go ahead and do that? And I'll support you any way that I can. Yeah. And I think that he saw a hunger and he saw a potential and he used his uh, leadership position to empower me mm -hmm. to do something. And that 
was a game changer and it allowed me to understand that you know a church or a school or a community or a neighborhood or the society at large is really nothing more than a bunch of people hanging out together and <laughs> if you see something that you think should happen um you should just go ahead and do that and that you know we all have that power to create change and i i think that rick saw me and saw um an ability to help me live into myself and um you know i'm forever grateful for that be the change you want to see in the world yeah somebody, somebody really that, right? smart yeah. said that one <laughs> so now i'm curious though where you thought that i was going to be going with the question about being seen and heard what had you thought that oh, i, I thought the say? question was going to be when have i seen and heard somebody okay well, sure, go ahead. Consider yourself asked. Well, and I had a great answer to that, and I <laughs> completely forget what it was. <laughs> um, oh, when when have I helped somebody else feel seen, I think is where I thought it was going to okay. go. And I, you know, I was working with veterans around PTSD and suicide prevention. Wow. And... Um, you know, and the, so so besides these long form interviews that I do with people, I set up these short form studio sessions and we'll ask a prompt. We'll invite people to respond in 25 words or less. And we do a black and white portrait. We combine their picture with their words. And in a day, you know, we can do 30 or 40 or 50 or God forbid, 100 of these. Uh, <laughs> if it's um, but. I was doing this with a bunch of veterans and I am, I am not a veteran, um, but I have a heart for some of the pain they return home with. And, um, and there was this big guy named Joe. He was a lot taller than me, a lot bigger than me. And after uh, I explained to the group what I was doing, he came and stood in front of my face a few inches away and said, I won't use his exact words but he kind of said i don't know what sort of art crap you're doing today but i don't want anything to do with it and, and uh you know i said okay but if you change your mind um i'll be here to listen and you know this was a several day uh retreat and i just kept showing up and people kept sharing stories and on the last hour of the last day Joe showed up and said, you know what? I do have something to say. And he shared this super sweet, heartfelt uh, story uh, about finding worth in his life again after he, you know, had had struggled for a long time. Um, and then I did what I always do. I produce the stories and I, I shared them back to the community in a video. And at the end, uh, Joe came up and gave me a bear hug that I thought was going to crush me. Yeah. And he said, um, thanks for listening to our stories, you know, and I think that that again, that ability to say, I see you, I hear you and you matter really resonates and touches people's hearts. And when you create that space to listen, uh, people will share some really powerful stuff. The power of showing up. Yeah. Yeah, nothing more than that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So as you know, the title of this new podcast is Pause, Purpose, Possibility. How in your own life does any or all of those show up? Mm. How do you pause? What is your purpose? And how do you know? Uh, what kind of possibility do you sense that you're living into at this point in your life? Take that well, anywhere pause, you want. Pause is something I could probably do more of. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, I run pretty hard for a piece of my mind yeah. um, because I see the way it's impacted communities because I see uh, the potential, the, the, the possibility for it to, to touch more hearts. And I'm a little, little haunted. Um, you know, we, we've got a great following and we have engaged with lots of people, but I'm a little haunted by all of the people in the world who I know are looking for connection who mm. we haven't yet. Um, mm -hmm. encountered. so there's a little bit of urgency there, but, um, I do try uh, to to fill my fill my heart and recharge my batteries by being outdoors, by being mm -hmm. in nature, by uh, squeezing in a hike or a paddle or uh, a bike ride wherever I can. Um, I'm uh, I don't like to wake up early, but I love to be up early. Uh, <laughs> so important watching, distinction. Yeah, it is. It is a very important distinction, but. <laughs> But watching those that first light of the day as a photographer is is always enchanting for me. Um, let's see. Pause. Uh, purpose. purpose. Um, boy, I'm 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 just uh, addicted to to seeing people feeling connected through stories, mm -hmm. uh, and and I. I'm not really a statistics person, but I have anecdotal evidence every day mm -hmm. of how stories have touched people. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm drawn to that and, and the possibility, you know, we, we keep finding new ways of connecting with people with stories. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, I think that collectively our potential is, um, much bigger than we currently mm. accept. I think that collectively our society is is shutting the doors to possibilities. Mm -hmm. And I would like to encourage people to open those doors to possibilities because I think we have untapped potential for what we can do together um, if we take the time to recognize it. What have you learned about how to tap into potential. What, uh, what does that take? It doesn't take much. We have all of the mm. tools that we need. Um, it just takes mm. time mm. Uh, and listening. You know, we've, we've worked in some really different types of communities. We work in faith-based communities. We, just did uh, a series with an organization in Pennsylvania working against targeted violence. Um, we've worked in North Minneapolis with youth. We've worked with veterans around suicide prevention. We've worked with um, uh, with uh, uh, Hispanic serving 
uh, college in Colorado around a sense of hope. Uh, we've worked with activists around a sense of belonging. And so we've, we've worked in these really different um, arenas. And um, when you show up and you just create a space where you're willing to listen, um, people bring great stuff to the table. I mean, it's almost as if um, they've been waiting for permission to share their better mm. angels. Mm. Mm. You know, and I think, I really think that for a piece of my mind, our greatest gift is to come alongside people and organizations that are doing good work and simply uh, listen and encourage and uplift that work. You know, I don't, I don't have the answers to all of the world's problems, but there are smart people in, in their field of expertise that do. And so, but that all, that all feels like hard work sometimes and i think those mm -hmm. people who are doing that good work uh burn out and they they mm -hmm. fall away and they get discouraged and my job is to come alongside those people and encourage them and to fan their spark a little bit into a flame and to uh keep them keep them showing up so that they can keep doing the good work that they're already engaged in that sounds to be an awful lot again, like feeding soul. Yeah. Yeah. As we for were talking sure. about before. Yeah. Yep. And it feeds my soul and, um, yes. and I'm encouraged when I see it feed theirs as well. Sure. We're going to wind down in a little bit as sad as I am to say that. Uh, but I'll, I'll first ask, um, what has been your experience? What wisdom can you share for folks who maybe do feel a nudge or a, a calling to try something new? As you know, this whole podcast thing for me is is brand new. And uh, the folks I've been most uh, closely working with to get it launched, playing with in some cases uh, to get it launched, we've had some really delicious conversations about what it means to try something new. Uh how does that shown up in your own life? Trying something new, something as uh, as momentous as selling your home, for heaven's sakes, and going on the road for two years, 93,000 plus miles. Um, uh, what kinds of questions emerged for you as you have emerged for you as you've uh, considered trying something new? Uh, among ourselves, we've asked, what if it doesn't work? And what if it does? Both sides of the uh, similar coin, right? So in trying something new, what if it does work? Or again, what if it doesn't? Trying yeah. something new, enlighten us. I guess we Noltoners have always taken risk in some form. Somebody said to me the other day when we were talking about selling our house and living in a van they said wow you're brave mm -hmm. and it um it doesn't feel brave it just feels like a natural extension of what mm -hmm. we've always done and mm -hmm. maybe maybe this is one of those good things about getting old in the world <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of things that are not great about getting old there are um also some things that are really beautiful and wonderful. And, and one of those good things is that I have a track record of trying something new yeah. and 
either it has worked or it has not worked. Right. And in both occasions, I've been able to continue moving forward and continue living and continue, you know, understanding the world in new ways. I'll tell you that in most cases, it's been great. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the law of averages, sometimes <laughs> it could be not great, but... Right. Um, but again, to put up those guardrails and to insulate yourself from what could be possible uh, is a mistake. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I think that sometimes we believe we have to have everything figured out before we take that first step of the journey and that we stand in one place until we can see the entire path mm -hmm. unfold in front of us. But I am firmly of the belief that if you see even a couple steps of a path in front of you, you should just start walking. Mm -hmm. And that as you walk, the rest of the path will be revealed. Uh, you know, on a foggy day, you can only see a couple of steps. But if you take those two steps, then you can see a couple more. And I'm I'm convinced, at least for my process, that I just have to start moving. I think, I think as human beings, we often get really excited about a thing and we walk right up to the edge of a pond and we, we imagine being immersed in the pond. Mm. But as soon as we dip our toes in, we get a little bit scared because mm. the water might be chilly and we just back up uh, and we never get into the pond. But I think, uh, by continuing to walk forward, by continuing to get wet up to your knees and then your waist and then your neck, you, that's life. You, you immerse yourself in life and there's, yeah, sometimes it's cold, but sometimes it's beautiful and refreshing and amazing as well. And I think in trying something new, um, if I'm going to do it, I want to be all in. And even though I'm a humanities person, I think I may be safely able to say that science tells us that uh, as human beings, our composition is mostly water. Yeah, so go be with it. Right. So yeah. wading into the pond, as you said, is really about being true to who we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I'm probably a slow learner. And so it has taken me a number of times through that cycle to gain the confidence that even when it's uncomfortable to know that it's worth doing. And that's how you go to selling your house and moving <laughs> yeah. to a van yeah. and driving across the country. Talk about uh, being true to who you are. Thank you for being such a model of that for me for seeing and hearing me over the years uh, to help me become more who I am. Thank you for the work that you do in the world, uh, for the ways that you show up, for the ways that you feed soul. This has been all of those things. And I'm incredibly grateful, John. Thank you so much for being here. Back at you, Chris. Thank um, you. Glad to spend this time together. I hope we'll get another chance soon. Thank you, John. John's newest book, 
Lessons on the Road to Peace will go on sale December 15th on the A Peace of My Mind website. It chronicles and reflects on the two-and-a-half-year journey that John and his wife Karen took, crisscrossing the country, encountering people whose stories help a polarized world to rediscover the common humanity that connects us. Now, as a gentle invitation for you to continue to reflect on what this conversation with John might have raised for you, here are some big questions of the week. In the face of all that seems to divide us these days, where do you see reminders about what connects us? What in your life or work feeds your soul? And how might you tap into that more often, more deeply? And finally, a practice or action step for you to take with you. Find a story of someone who somehow makes things better. Maybe it's a story from your own life or from today's news. Notice how it moves you or what it is that it stirs up in you. And then tell someone about it. As always, we're so grateful you're here. We hope you'll find us again next week for another episode of Pause, Purpose, Possibility. I'm your host, Chris Johnson. Thanks for being with us.